Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> yeah, man. There is nothing like having fun at church. I, I, was, I was really struggling with this sermon, and um, I rarely do. I mean, normally it's like we're planned out weeks and ahead and all is cool. And um, uh, I, I told Bobby and uh, Hector when we were talking earlier, I said, man, I, I want to talk about this topic, and I don't think I've ever taught on it in my life, and I'm really trying to figure it out because I want to talk about the elusive nature of happiness. Happiness. There's three kind of people in this room when it comes to happiness. We have some folks here who you grew up in some type of church, maybe, uh, maybe a Catholic, or maybe you grew up in a synagogue, or maybe you grew up Episcopalian, or maybe you grew up in, in kind of a deeply fundamental church where people rocked around like this. Because people who walk around like that always tell you what not to do. Have you ever noticed that? Because there's so many rules, you're just totally freaked out by it, right? And, and so we come to church and we, we're not sure we're supposed to be happy. And if we do get happy, we feel guilty about it. I mean, you might be one of those people. Like, it's okay to be, can I be, can I be happy? Right? Because, then, see, those are the same people who, who heard preachers for a year make this statement. You are called to be holy, not happy. That is the stupidest statement on the planet. Are you kidding me? Really? God wants you to be miserable. What? I mean, he wants you to delight in him, but he wants you to be miserable. I mean, do you see how silly that is? Okay, then we got a second group of people who you are certain you can't be happy. I mean, life has just like beat the crud out of you, and you are certain that you cannot be happy. And so, in essence, you have determined that the way to survive in this life is to let people know you are not happy. So I know that because I get emails from many of you, right? And they always start this way. I don't mean to be fill in the blank, but. Because see, people who don't know they can be happy, every sentence includes a but. Now you take that any way you want to, but. But I'm telling you, folks just don't think it's possible, all right? Then, then, you, then you got a third group of people who they believe it is their job in life to keep you from being happy. Okay, these are people who make rules and want you to follow their rules. Are you with me? Okay, so we got, we got all this baggage we bring in the prescription of happiness. Then what happens is we have discovered that 49% of us Somewhere in our life will experience true, honest-to-goodness depression, okay? And, and, and by the way, 25% of us will this past week. 62% of us in this room are on some type of drug to deal with anxiety. Okay, now, don't hear me bash you for that. As a matter of fact, thank God for that. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying to you is we are on this quest to discover happiness, are we not? I mean, I don't know anybody that woke up, looked in the mirror this morning and said, you know what my job is today? I want to be miserable. Now, I know folks who enjoy their misery. Don't get me wrong. I, I know folks that every time you see them, when you, when you say, oh, how you doing? Oh, I mean, I want to pull a pin, you know, fire in a hole. 
You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you're just like sucking the life out of me. I mean, don't you know those folks? Or maybe you're more spiritual than I am. You know, I mean, do you ever get people fatigued? It's like, oh, dear God, just don't put more people in my life today. They're driving me crazy. I mean, I'm not supposed to say stuff like that because I, I love people. You know, the problem is on this podcast, nobody's going to see my facial expression. They're going to be, oh, what a sweet guy. Yeah, right. (laughs) The less we seem to enjoy our life, the weaker we're going to be on our journey. You see, the reason I know that is because the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength, right? I mean, spiritually, we, we get that. The strength of the living God becomes our strength when we enjoy God and he enjoys you. You see, you increase in strength when you live in God's pleasure. Nothing can stop you from accomplishing what God has awakened in your soul. Your strength is the joy of the Lord, not the truth of the Lord or the knowledge of the Lord or even the power of the Lord, but the joy of the Lord. Your strength is not in rituals. It is not in religion. It is not in doctrine. It is not in disciplines. The more you enjoy God and enjoy the life he's called you into, the stronger you will be. To enjoy this life is a sacred act of worship. Now that, my friend, is tweetable. If you don't tweet that while you're sitting here, you are a social media sissy. So we decided that we'd take a look at the tipping point of our life. I mean, sometimes I feel like we all need a tipping point. We're pushing the rock up the hill. Our back is bloodied from pushing the boulder up the hill. We're right at the pinnacle of the top, and we just need a tipping point that pushes us just over so we can experience this thing called happiness. And we're almost there, and the rock is teetering on the top. We need one more push. And I thought today, let's figure out what is the tipping point of our happiness. So I did something a little odd. I looked up in the dictionary and I looked up the definition of happy. Go figure. Pull that up, guys. The definition of happy. Delighted, pleased, glad over a particular thing. Number two, characterized by or indicative of pleasure, contentment, or what's that word? Joy. Well, what would a sane person do after that? Try to figure out what's next, so pull up joy. I went from happy to joy. And joy says the emotion of great delight, or what's that word? And what's number four? A state of? Wait a minute. So joy and happiness go together. Wait a minute. Whoa, you mean God not only wants me to have joy, you remember the kid you sang that song? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Woo! You remember that song? Could we edit that out of the podcast? You used to sing it, right? And you think, well, okay, whatever. You know? And then we sang another song. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Were you one of those people who didn't clap? It's like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. No. Right? But we see joy and we see happiness together. So then I thought, wow, what if I were to get spiritual? Like, what if I got really pastoral? I thought, well, I, I got to say something that sounds spiritual. I'm, I'm the preacher, right? So I, I thought, let's use the word blessed, or as we say here in the South, blessed. 
All right? So look at blessed. All right? Consecrated, sacred, holy, worthy of adoration, reverence, or worship, divinely or supremely favored or fortunate, blissfully. What's that word? Happy. What? So wait a minute. To be blessed? To have joy? To have happiness? All those dots are connected? What? So all of a sudden, it hit me. Jesus taught a lot on the word blessed in his Sermon on the Mount, in what we know as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Here's what we read. Pull them up, guys. Blessed or happy. By the way, the term blessed, you can't just take the word and say happy and replace it because it's not happy as we know it. You see, the way we know happy is, hey, thanks, I got a new F-150. Awesome, right? Hashtag cool, okay? Or, or, wow, how awesome. Eddie gave me a, a gift certificate at Longhorn. I had a steak, baked potato, salad, and cobbler for happy until dinner, right? Because see, most of our happiness is, we look for it in most superficial ways. Literally, when you unpack the word blessed in the Aramaic, in the Semitic language used at the time, blessed is, is, does mean happy, but it is a happiness. Now watch this. It is a, it, it is, it is a happiness that is deep in the crevices of your bone, in the marrow of your bone, and found down deep in your soul where it can well up and it can absolutely overcome anything that comes from outside. It literally has the ability to transform who you are. It is a happiness that transcends our emotions. It is a happiness that transcends our circumstances. It is in the deep character of the presence of God within us. If you're with me, nod your head. Yeah. Okay, now, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those that are meek, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those people are happy deep in their bones. They are merciful, they're pure in heart, they're peacemakers. Even when they're persecuted by others, when people revile you, those people are happy deep in their bones. And I know what you're thinking. I want to be that. I, I, I want that. I want to be happy like that. When the world isn't what is favorable to me, I want that. That term, this explanation of an inner joy and peace that comes from being right with God. You see, happiness is indeed part of it, but it is a happiness that truly transcends what happens in the world around us. A happiness that comes to the soul from being favored by God. So when Jesus says, blessed or happy are they, he's not just describing them as being filled with an inner sense of joy and peace and happiness because they are right with God. He is actually praising them for their character and pledging divine rewards for that elusive happiness. So you know what God wants? He wants us to be happy as we seek him. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a minute, and I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think of, do not go to sleep. Some of you are snoring already. All right. In your sphere, who do you imagine as a successful person? Think, think, think. Who's a successful person? One, two, three, done. All right. Back up. 
This center section was filled with kids earlier. Many of them might would have thought the Kardashians. Ouch. If you were 60 years old, you might have thought of Donald Trump. Maybe you thought of Condoleezza Rice. Or maybe because you were sitting in church, you put a Jesus filter on it and that the answer to everything was Jesus. But you know what I have found? I have found that most successful people in the eyes of men aren't happy. I have found that when people chase after what we believe is successful, we fail in choosing to find happiness. And when we stop chasing happiness and we start chasing God, we find happiness. You know how I know that? I've never seen anybody in Haiti giving away food to hungry kids go, crud, I can't believe I'm doing this. I have never seen anybody walk through the streets of Cuba with me sharing Christ with lost people in Havana and go, you know what? I would much rather be in my cubicle. I've never seen anybody give to orphans or widows or hungry people and say, you know what? That was a waste of money. I've never seen somebody serve other people I've never seen people who are grateful, who thank God for what they had and live generosity lifestyles. I've never seen them be miserable. Now, they may not be successful as we see them. They may not have their own talk show, and they may not be on the radio, but I have discovered they know where happiness is. So how do we live these beatitudes? After the longest intro to a sermon in mankind, turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms. And in the Psalms, we're going to go to the first Psalm. The first Psalm is only six verses long. And so if you don't know where that is, you're going to have it on the screen, or you can kind of go to the middle of your Bible and kind of flip around. It's kind of right in the middle, Psalm chapter 1. And in the first Psalm, here's, here's what we read. Blessed, again, what does blessed mean? Say it out loud. Yeah, happy is the man. Ladies, don't get freaked out. In that time period when they were writing this in a religious and, 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 and contextual time of the day, uh, when, when they were writing this, you weren't even citizens yet. So don't be mad. Be grateful for the fact that you are now and that you actually run the world, especially the church. How cool is that, huh? Yeah. I know some of you are proud of that. Like, you bet you. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Whatever. And um, blessed are the folks. How about that? Happy are the folks who, who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now here's what's, here's what's very cool about this. There's an activity here that says happy is the person who walks not with wicked people, but they discover that they need to hang around with folks. You want a good reason to come to church? You want a good reason to invite people to church? This is a good one, all right? You want a good reason as to why you need to be cranked up and ready to go live life for Christ this week in a world where it doesn't? That's a good one, all right? Go ahead. It's an activity. Walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Be careful. My old, my old ball coach used to say that. You know, you stand in a barn long enough, you can come out smelling like it. I mean, you pick what it is, right? But his delight, or, or, or listen, here's the cool one, or, or no, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. In the day, in, in the Semitic language, where you sat determined who you were. If you sat, and literally you would move in your seating arrangement. Like here, you just kind of sit wherever you want. It doesn't matter. It's not, you know, like Ann sits here on the front row, and she's pretty sure she is more spiritual than everybody, but she's really not, you know. She's just sitting on the front row because she likes it, Right. 
And then you got, you got dudes in the back row that they get here early to make sure they get the back row, right? But it's, it's not like they don't love Jesus. It's just they want to hide from people like me, right? Like when I, when I well, hey, how you doing? They're back there like, don't chuck my hand, you know? So we kind of got all that going on. But, you know, in the Semitic time, where you sat was who you were. So if you sat in the right place, you were a big deal. If you sat in the wrong place, yeah, loser, right? But here's the key. What, what happy is the person who knows where to sit. You know who was on the outside in the circles in the Semitic language of the time? People who were scoffers. And you know what he's saying? Man, make sure you know where you sit in this life. Make sure you know whose you are. Make sure you know where you're at. See, so he moves on, and I find that in, we, we live in this unparalleled age of disdain for that which is ancient or old. I mean, we, we can't wait to change stuff. I mean, we live, we live in, a, in, a, in a generation today that can't wait to change things. I mean, how many of you rode a horse to church today? Right? Yeah. But you know what we say? I, I'd, I'd like to live in the good old days. We wouldn't last 30 minutes in the good old days. I mean... I need to go to the restroom. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's 31 degrees, and it is 50 feet from the house outdoors. Are you kidding me? Right? No, I don't want to draw water from a well. No, I want, I want to order pizza from my iPhone. Right? And, and yet, what happens is we're in this overwhelming rate of change, which literally is squelching our very happiness. I mean, think about it. In the 1950s, sociologists were saying that by now we would only have two days of work because by the time we mechanized everything and then technology took over, we wouldn't even have anything to do, but we'd work two days a week. Were they on crack or what? I mean, since 72, we have added four and a half hours a week to everybody's work week. And you know where we do that work? At home because we're electronically tethered to our work. There's no, there's, really, we, we are suffocating our soul. And so we look at that and we ask ourselves, are we happier than an older generation? No. I mean, do you know why they sat on the front porch and chatted? I mean, think about it. You know what? They didn't have Survivor. I mean, they, they didn't have Scandal on ABC. They, they couldn't go watch Captain Phillips, which, by the way, is a killer movie. I was screaming at the end. I wanted to go, USA, USA. How many of you have seen Captain Phillips? Okay, you got to go. Really, you got to go see this movie. When, you, when you're done seeing this, it, by the way, there's nothing spiritual about it at all. I mean, they cuss like sailors through the whole movie, you know, but when I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking, I love this guy. Commercial. So you ask yourself, are you happier? Human happiness isn't addressed by our technology, psychology, or our culture. The issues that make us happy are profoundly cosmic and divine. Interesting. Doesn't that sound almost mystic? They are cosmic and divine. They are straight from heaven. The only happiness... I mean, let's ask ourselves, what does the Bible tell us about being happy? Now, that's not a trivial question. Because many of you in here said, you know what, I care what the Bible says about being happy, but the other half of you says, I don't think anything can work. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in the half that says, I'm pretty sure that, that you can't help me, I'm going to say, what do you got to lose? You're trapped. Why not? Right? Just, just give it a shot. 
So I want to give you four thoughts, tip, four tipping points that I believe lead us to happiness. Number one, if you've got pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, jot these four down. Number one, happiness is possible. You really can be happy. I don't believe God is walking through the portals of heaven going, I can't wait to tick you off. I think God longs for us to be happy people. I really do. I think he, I, I think he wants us to find joy in our sorrow. I think he wants us to find happiness in our peace. I think he wants us to find peace and our joy, and I think he wants to find our joy in him. And so when I look at that, I think happiness is possible. Blessed is the man who does these things. We start out thinking happiness is natural in our life. And then we we kind of migrate to this isn't as easy as we thought. And then we migrate a little bit more to thinking happiness isn't natural. Happiness is unattainable. And if possible, Why is it so few have it because we seek it wrongly? Look at the rest of the text. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now remember, the law of the Lord, watch this, the law in the time were hundreds of rules, but it's the law of the Lord. Who is the Lord? Jesus. What did Jesus say the rules of the game were when he came and changed it? Love God, love others. This is that simple. To delight in the law of the Lord is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, and by the way, love other people. And Jesus said, this is the law of the Lord. Delight in that. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Don't stop. This isn't something you do on Sunday morning. Do this consistently. Meditate on the word of God. Now, some of you freak out by this word meditate. Literally, the word meditate is this. Don't lose sight of it in your mind. Right? Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of love God, love other people. When the guy flips you off on 285 and you want to give it back to him, think to yourself, wait a minute, delight in the law of the Lord. Right? I mean, stick with this. And he goes on and he says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season and its leaf does not wither. That is one of the coolest statements of all time. Now watch this. We are the tree. I think I have to unpack this analogy maybe. We are the tree. We have been planted by streams of what kind of water? Living water. Who gives us living water? Jesus. We are planted there so that our roots may grow deep into that rich, fertile soil and draw water, life-giving water, from the streams of living water, which is the presence and the power of Jesus, so that it wells up inside of us. And there are seasons when our spiritual life is hitting on all eight cylinders and we are humming. And then there are seasons when it seems like God is silent and our lives are flatlined and we are wondering where God is. But if we are a tree planted by streams of living water and our roots have gone deep into that water and we are drawing from that source, then when life is pressing down on our life with all of its junk and all of its sorrow and all of its sin, all that happens is that stream of water wells up within us and in it is joy and peace and that fountain bubbles up in our life until such time that in the midst of our sorrow in the midst of our pain in the midst of our problems we have drawn from the well that is Jesus streams of living water why because we were grounded in his foundation second thing happiness is fundamental It's not superficial. Happiness never consists in what happens to you, but what you are, whose you are, and what's in you. 
Is it streams of living water or is it the circumstances of your life? See, if your goal is to have a great marriage, you're probably going to fail. But if your goal is to be planted and dig deep roots into the streams of living water, you're going to find happiness in your marriage. If, you're, if your job is to seek a great career, but your job's not to plant deeply in the streams of living water, you will temporarily succeed, but you will not find happiness because it's only found in the stream of living water that we know as Jesus. Happiness is fundamental. It's not superficial. The old prose goes like this. Two men looked out through prison bars. One saw mud the other saw stars. What was the difference? Where they looked for help. You look to this earth for help, all you're going to find is mud. You look to the heavens for help, and you will find not just stars, but the presence and the power of the one that breathed them into place. So I ask you, what's your view? You see, it is your choice. First Peter 1 6 gives us this perspective that you rejoice in him, though you are now in great heaviness. You're not avoiding heaviness. You're in deep joy, even in your mess. Hurting and yet you don't wither. Rooted in trust, blessing, joy, happiness. The tree has drawn harder on the stream of living water. You really don't know how to rejoice in the Lord, though, until you've suffered until your heart's been broken, until you've had great loss, until you've experienced great pain, you can't really know what great joy is, what great happiness is. When I see parents who are so worried about their kids, teenagers making stupid mistakes, you know what I would say? The minute they make a stupid mistake, they're going to learn their desperate need for grace. And when they get grace, the rest of life is pulling from streams of water. And you'll say, Chuck, but I don't want him to make a mistake. I don't either, but it is in the mistake that God wells up that stream of water and says, here's grace. Heaviness comes and superficial sadness hits us. What happens to the fountain? It wells up when you're planted by streams of living water. Number three, happiness is not direct. It's never direct. If your goal is to search after happiness, we're going to mess up. Always seeking something more than happiness. This is our goal. Service to others, gratefulness for God's gift, trusting God's goodness and love. What are your fundamental allegiances? I mean, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of righteousness. Seeking good things isn't going to achieve happiness. Jesus said, if you want to be great, serve. So I want to ask you today, on your handout, I want to ask you three questions. Number one, who are you going to serve this week? You want to move toward happiness? I've never seen anybody serve other people and not be happy. And I've seen them get hurt by it, but they're still happy. I, I, I want to ask you number two, what is it you're grateful for this week? Every day, what am I grateful for? Find something to be grateful for. You know, what, you know what's grateful? You got up this morning, you breathed clean, fresh air. Most of you ate breakfast. Mandy went to IHOP, didn't even bring me coffee. And then the third one, what, what is it you need to trust God for? For that family I was praying about this morning, just needs a $1,600 gift to get them past it. You know what? Pray, don't, don't go to a big God and pray for, I want world peace. I mean, don't, don't be a beauty pageant that 
contender that doesn't know the answer, right? I mean, don't be Reese Witherspoon in that, in that show, you know? Like, what would be your perfect date? April 14th is just not quite hot. Not What? Don't be that guy. Go to God with a big, big honking desire. What is it you want to trust God for in your life? I mean, go to him with something that just blows your mind. I mean, think about it. Who am I going to serve? Right? What am I going to be grateful for? What am I going to trust God for? You say, Chuck, it just sounds so easy. That's not easy. That is counterculture to everything you do through the week. Happiness isn't direct. And finally, happiness is something you choose. You know, the text starts with a negative. Does not, does not, does not. You got to make a change in your direction. Walk, listen, sit is what it says. Listen speaks to the intellect. Walking speaks to our behavior. Sit in the Semitic language speaks to where we belong. So who do you belong to and where do you sit? Are you sure you're sitting in the presence of Christ so that you are, have roots that are digging into the streams of living water? Are you firmly rooted there? The central message of the Bible is that God sent Jesus to die for you so he can be your father. You say, but Chuck, I have made a colossal mess of my life. Well, welcome to the rest of us. I mean, if you're here today and your life just totally is off the rails, well, welcome home. I mean, if, if we all took our church mask off, I mean, we, we are the most messed up people on the planet. I am. I mean, sit down with me and talk about messed up life. I promise you, I know messed up life. I've lived it. But if you'd say, wait a minute, I, you mean God would welcome me home in the story of the prodigal son, the, the son goes off, he does something that was so awful at the time, I mean, it was awful that somebody would go get their dad's inheritance early and go spend it was unheard of. I mean, when the parable is told, people are like, ah! because you would never do that in context in that time, ever. So the dad does, and the boy goes off, and he spends everything, and his life is a disaster. All he does is party his way through all the money, and now he's eating with pigs, and he has no friends, and he's broke, and he comes back to the father. And when he comes back to the father, he comes back with a, I owe you nothing. I'm willing to come be your servant. I, I don't, oh, oh, I just, I, please let me in. Come, I want to come home. And it's this picture that we're that dude. And we have this thought that God is sitting on the throne of that home and he's looking down at us saying, you're not worthy. But the picture Jesus said was that the dad did something that was unheard of at the time. He pulled his robe up and tucked it in his belt and he showed his legs. You would never do that. That was a sign of total, total unacceptability. A man of that stature would never show his legs and he would never run. And the Bible says that he ran with his legs showing, with his robe tucked in his belt to his boy. And his boy is there thinking, all I want is to come home. I'm willing to be your servant. And you know what the dad says? Break out the fatted calf. We're having a barbecue today. My boy is home. My boy is home. My boy is home. And while Jesus is telling that story, there are people like you sitting around hearing it, and they're saying, I want to know that my heavenly father will tuck his robe and his belt and see me coming to him, and he will run 
to meet me and put his arms out and say to the world in all your messed up life, we're having barbecue for lunch today. My boy, my girl has come home. That, my friend, that is happiness. And I would encourage you. I would encourage you today to join me. Let us go to war against unhappiness here at Sugar Hill Church. Let's make that a part of our culture, that a better life can be created through Jesus and his people fully present in the awareness of the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace of a God who pulled his robe up and tucked it in his belt and ran to his people. This awareness that God is always good and you are always loved. Father, today, may we worship you knowing that you tucked your robe in and you grasped us and said, my child is home. God, we could never praise you enough. So all we do today is tell you we love you, we adore you. God Almighty, holy, holy, the great I am, we love you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King, and our Lord, we pray. And all those who claim Jesus said, Amen, amen, and amen.